Steve, Steve, Steve. Everything's miserable and so sad. It's so dark out. It was like got dark at like 3.30. Penn State football is 0-2. It's cold today. The election is tomorrow. <sighs> I worry about you. I do. I, I thought you. about you during the game. I texted you, you did more text last me. week than this week because I didn't want to pile on this week. Yes, I, I, I can feel it perhaps not as much as you. But um, yeah, it's, it's for, for folks who are diehards, this is certainly a tough time. Yeah. This is the Stuff Summers, Stuff Summers Says podcast with Steve. Steve. Uh, we are back this week. Um, we have an excellent show, and it's really for mainly one reason, and it is, has nothing to do with us. It has to do with our wonderful guest, Emily Kaplan, who just joined us a little bit ago for a great conversation. We'll have that on the show today. Uh, we will unfortunately recap the Ohio State game look ahead a little bit to Maryland um, and then we've got a great old guy young guy segment this week um, but like I said a great interview with Emily Kaplan so stick around um, after this boring Penn State talk to hear that amazing interview um, so yes as I mentioned Penn State football as you probably know lost on Saturday um, but Let's talk about it from the sports media perspective, because I don't want to. I, I don't. I don't want to rehash the game. It was the. It, it was the first game away or at home without fans. It was weird. It was weird to watch. I mean, the 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 aerial views of campus looked great with the lights in the facilities and all the green and whatever else. It just felt. I've talked to people before the stadium, before the season, media members who said, you know, Beaver Stadium, its atmosphere just is, is a big part of the reputation. And it, it was weird not to have fans, and it was emphasized by the broadcast, right? Here's last year, and they're showing the fans in white, and then here's this year. Um, so it was a stark contrast. Not that other teams that have been home haven't had that already, but it was just an interesting thing to see. Uh, that's a really good point, because I was just going to kind of say that, because, you know, this was... I, I'm, I'm a Pirates baseball fan, unfortunately, and they had their games at home. But this was truly the first time one of my two big sports teams had a game at their home stadium because the other one being the Lightning and they, they were in Edmonton. I, it, it just, like, it didn't hit me until, but then it, like, hit a little bit harder on Saturday for some reason of, of the no fans. It, and I think the other thing was just, like, you know, hanging out with a couple people safely. Um, there was just, like, oh, we should be, like, in a, a cow field right now. Oh, we should be walking like it was like it was like six six o'clock and i like looked at my watch and i was like we'd be walking to the stadium right now like six thirty, we'd I, you know i'd have my mountain dew and my popcorn like it just everything felt weird um i do think the the broadcast did a good job of kind of showing that like this is where we were last year and this is where we are this year and it's just like another reminder of everything that's going on um and kind of truly how wild all of this is yeah, I think more than any other college game I've seen this year, and again, I'm not a, an Alabama fan, but I've been in that stadium. I'm not an Ohio State fan, but I've been in that stadium. It, it didn't feel like the broadcast of games, the first games from those places, emphasized the differences as much as it is here because m much of the reputation of Beaver Stadium in recent years has been built on the fan noise and the event that is the whiteout, right? So th they came back to it a couple times, um, which was fine. I mean, it, it, it is what it is or was what it was at that point. Um, and I think it's been a good, it's been, a, you know, aside, on the, aside from on the field, nationally for an 0-2 football team, Penn State's had a good two weeks. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, they, they, everybody's talking about the Indiana loss, but they were talking about them. Right. You know, and and then it's right into to the to the Ohio State game in the Whiteout. So there wasn't a day last week before the Ohio State game that Penn State wasn't mentioned on the bottom bottom line of of ESPN yeah. scrolls in some way, mm-hmm. which in terms of relevance and, and that kind of thing is a good thing. Now you got to win some games, but relevance wise, they're there. Yeah. It- I think the one thing that I also was thinking about, and it it was kind of a little bit masked by the, no pun intended, um, masked by by the game day setup this week, was the fact that Beaver Stadium itself is like an ugly stadium. Like, there's not really much to, like, look at. Like, but what what kind of does make it so beautiful is when there is so many people in there and it's got that energy and that feeling, especially during the whiteout. but I, I did think Game Day did a good job of like picking their location. I, I, I know that was something that I, what we talked about last week. You know, I know that they're very protective of the turf. The, also, the end zones and stuff are, are very shallow at Beaver Stadium. Um, I thought it was kind of a cool angle that they had. And, and I think that the, the, the sweet side of the stadium is something that isn't showcased as much. And that was, and I don't think it's enough of a Penn State landmark. Um, that always gets enough credit. I feel like it's an underappreciated landmark. And, and I really, you know, I've had that as my phone background before um, and, and stuff like that. And I, I, I really, I don't know, I thought they did a good job of picking that this year. Yeah, there's there's almost nothing about that show I don't like every week, you know, from, from studio setups to stage design to the thought behind stuff to no doubt the challenges that go with producing it. And there's certainly, there are some Penn Staters behind the scene there that help make, make that happen. But it's, they... It's, it's funny because when I hear people talk about, oh, ESPN doesn't like us or ESPN, they want to lump some bias in against Penn State. They love coming here. Chris Fowler is, if he's biased in anywhere, grew up in that stadium when his father was a faculty member, you know, sneaking in the end zone trading tickets. And so there's a visceral experience for those people there um, and coming back. And it's an exciting place. I'm sure they were disappointed in some ways just as much as some fans were um, about not being able to show this piece of, of Americana and college football that, that Beaver Stadium during the whiteout weekend is. I like the Halloween decorations and the, and the pumpkins. I, I wish that I could carve a pumpkin or do whatever they do to their pumpkins like that. I, that is my, I think that is my goal for 2021, to learn how to do that too. Well, I'll write that down because every year I look at that too and think, Man, how did, and I saw they were using like a little Dremel. A Dremel or something, yeah. Like, There's got to be a way, and, right? Exactly. And, you know, we didn't do them this so year because, and I think, because. honestly, it's because 2020 has been so frustrating. We didn't need the extra <laughs> frust- frustration of like making a cut just a hair too long and the whole pumpkin's ruined. It would be, it would be difficult to, to fix that <laughs> as opposed with a knife. You can just make the smile a little bit different, right? Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, I guess we kind of already talked about this, but we have it written down here. Just, it was, it. we both agree it was by far the most bizarre experience of watching a Penn State football game, watching it at home. Like, this was well, we did day pull, number one. We did, we had uh, our best friends over, and we did pull over, we pulled out a big TV that he had that, I don't know why he had an extra big TV, and I hooked it up in the garage, and we watched outside for a little bit so it was cold. Because we had trick-or-treaters coming up our up our driveway, because it was the 31st, so in our, in our township, they were still doing trick-or-treating, so we were doing... Up until eight o'clock, we were doing trick or treating and kind of watching the game in the garage. So we got a little bit of the cold weather, got a little bit of the experience. So that was about as close as we could get. Um, so yeah, and I'm always the one that, even though I, I really love going to tailgates and doing the tailgate thing for years, everybody that's with me and my family knows I could get you to the tailgate and then just you could go to the stadium. I'll take stuff home, clean up. You come home. I'll have dinner waiting for you when you're done and whatever else. And this was a dangerous weekend 
for my family and friends because this proves that some of this stuff could happen at home. So I'm going to have to like get re-energized for next year in some ways. It's so funny you say that because my best friend basically said the same exact thing. Huh, it's nice being able to go somewhere and relax and be at home and not have to no line clean to the bathroom, and walk inside, and it's warm. Yeah. Like, like yeah. I get it, but I also did. I yeah, did miss no, an I aspect of it. I, I missed being I, sore from standing and waking up Sunday morning achy because I stood the whole game and the wind was windy <laughs> and all that. Like, I actually did miss that. So, um, you had one thing particular you wanted to talk about with College Game Day slash. Yeah, and I think it'll transition a little bit into Emily's piece. Um, Maria Taylor talked to Coach Franklin both during game day and then in a segment before the game about the sacrifices college coaches are missing or having to make by being away from their family. And I fully understand um, what Coach Franklin is doing with his $1 daughter in the sickle cell anemia and the family being in Florida and him being here. But I also think if a lot more people had the means to make decisions like that, they would. And, and I think sometimes the media's comfort level with who they're covering allows them to forget who they're actually serving. Like if, if I was watching that and had someone I had to worry about health-wise, it wouldn't be hard for me to say, oh yeah, no kidding, if I had three houses across the country, I'd put my kids somewhere else too. Um, so I don't feel like as like the coaches, college coaches across the nation, I don't feel like they're going to Alaska and getting on a crab boat and working for six weeks in, in, in the, you know, on whatever that show is, the, in, in, out in the, the Bering Sea, to try to make money for their family. These are, we're talking people who are making multiple millions of dollars and I don't. I, I just don't feel like it's. I don't know that. I think it's an inconvenience, no doubt. I don't know that it's the sacrifice it's painted to be sometimes by the media. And she is not alone in doing that this year. But I think part of it is the familiarity with the coaches and the media members of like who they see and what's going on. Oh, your family isn't with you. That must be horrible. But there's people losing jobs. There's people who are having pay cuts. There's people who are doing whatever else. And those feel more like sacrifices than the inconvenience that that media the media sometimes paints college coaches or rich sports people is having to deal with so maybe wrong but we'll see that's a good point that's a good point um i think everything right now especially is like a little bit of perspective you know like after after the first game when we were all very angry at, at the decision um cory listoki who has the has, has a podcast you know was it had to go out to work in california to clean up the, the mess from the fires out there and and he was telling us about that and some of the things he was seeing and it was just like yeah penn state lost but you know right everything has a little bit of a perspective right now and, and i think that's something important to keep in mind um speaking of people who did go up or you know into a bubble and and, and did have to make you know a little bit of a sacrifice we spoke today with with emily kaplan um, ESPN national hockey writer, um, Penn Stater, and now official friend of the show. Um, she gave us a great rave review at the end, so make sure you, you stick around for that. Um, about a lot of different things, we talked about you know what, how it was, what life getting to the bubble, uh, life in the the quote unquote bubble as she called it, uh, the the bubble adjacent as she called it actually, mm-hmm. um, and you know just kind of her rise and switch. To, to, from the NFL to the NHL, which is something that not a lot of beat writers do. Um, so take a li- listen to that. Do you have anything you add before we cue that up, Steve? No, I think she's really good. I think if you're not reading her stuff, you should, and she's smart, and, and if you give a listen, you're here, you'll know why. Cool. So go ahead, take a listen to that, and we'll be right back after this. So we have our first guest. Let me not only thank you, but congratulate you on being on the number one podcast, according to my mom. It is an she, honor and a privilege, Mrs. Summers. 
she is ESPN writer, all around good person, one of my favorite people on Twitter, Emily Kaplan. Hi, Emily. How are you? Hey, Darian. It's so great to be on your guys' podcast. And Steve Samsel, who is a professor of mine. So this is all kind of trippy for me, but really fun. Yeah, he was a he was a professor of mine, too. But he, he did. I actually don't know if he was, but he was always giving me tough times. Like, I think he was definitely, like, telling other professors to give me, like, an A-. minus. <laughs> Keep I'm him sure humble. That was the case. <laughs> so, Emily, um, we, we're having you on to talk about, you know, everything that happened with the NHL, but not more so not necessarily the actual NHL, what it was like covering the NHL playoffs. But the first thing I have to know as a Tampa Bay Lightning fan, is John Cooper really as cool as he seems in person? He's a very cool guy. Um, Since this is a sports media podcast, I can say unequivocally, he might be the sports media's favorite coach because he likes to drink with the media. He (laughs) likes to chit chat with the media um, and overall just gets it. Um, I think Sometimes when coaches go up to press conferences, half of them are just fulfilling their obligations and half of them understand, like, I'm standing here because the people on the other side of me have a job to do. And uh, he's definitely in that second group because he always gets great answers. Okay, good. Yeah, I always enjoy his press conferences. (laughs) All right. So as I mentioned, you were one of, like, I feel like a handful of people truly in, in the world to witness playoff hockey with their own very own eyes this year. But before we even get to playoff hockey and, and you know the, the life in the bubble, it was hard to probably even get to Canada. I know that the, there was a Dallas morning uh, morning news reporter that struggled and basically couldn't get in. What was that process like of going through customs during a global pandemic with all of this going on? Yeah, so the U.S.-Canada border was closed uh, to non-essential travel, and that's really probably the biggest barrier that prevented a lot of outlets from sending people um, because if Americans did cross the border, they had to do a 14-day quarantine. Um, So if you're thinking about it, that's sending someone up to cover the playoffs, but also committing to two weeks where they have to be in a hotel, or in my case, I chose an Airbnb um, for pretty obvious reasons, like getting a backyard and a kitchen. Um, uh, So yeah, that was, um, you know, I had a letter in hand when I crossed the border from our ESPN legal department. Um, I had a letter in hand from the NHL saying I was um, covering the event. I was lucky I had a you know favorable customs agent when I uh, crossed into Pearson Airport in Toronto and it was pretty easy from a travel standpoint. It was the first time I was on a plane for, for a long time so you know that was a little unnerving. Um, but once I got there, um, you know like I said, I had an Airbnb, groceries delivered, wine delivered, I could watch hockey every day. Um, it wasn't that bad. Okay, yeah, I, was, I was wondering about that because I, you know I, that was kind of my first initial thought when I was thinking about questions to ask you. Um, now you obviously, as you mentioned, you stayed in an Airbnb, so you weren't actually in the quote unquote bubble, but you certainly probably had to perform some bubble activities. What was life like in the bubble? Um, you know, from how, how, how different was it from just walking into an arena to cover a game or was it like that? Yeah. So I feel like you sometimes need to explain. So I was bubble adjacent is how I call it. The NHL didn't want any uh, independent media in the bubble. Um, in my opinion, it was a very short-sighted decision and something that falls in line with a lot of the ways the NHL uh, treats the media or just treats its audience, but that is probably a conversation for another day. Um, so I was able to be in the arena for games, um, and that's pretty much the closest I could get, because even though I was in the arena and witnessing them live, um, I would then go, We the reporters would go to a separate room in the arena and do the Zoom press conferences. So like, we weren't physically interacting with anyone who was quote unquote in the bubble. Being in the arena though was wild. Um, it, it was just unlike anything I've ever experienced. 
you don't realize how much heat body uh, body heat fans give off. It was freezing. Um, every night I was drinking just hot water just to stay warm um, from the Keurig machine. And also just the sound, you know, they did a great job making it a TV product and doing the ambient noise, the crowd noise. They had a five second delay though on TV. And in the arena, they didn't have that. Um, so, you know, as well as these operators did, and they did a fantastic job, like a guy would take a shot and then like two seconds later be like, ah! And some of the players were even telling me that, you know, different parts of the ice, they could hear it. Um, if they stood right under the jumbotron, they could hear it. Sometimes in a corner, they couldn't. If they went to the penalty box and took a penalty, it was dead silent. So it was just a little bit uh, eerie and trippy and, and just really surreal for everyone. Emily, how did you, how did you, I don't know, hack or work around what you were supposed to do? And how trepidatious were you of doing any of that for fear of them saying, hey, how'd you get this or whatever? Like, I mean, as a reporter, right, you're trying to get something. And you're probably not happy with exactly what they're giving you. So, so did you have some hacks or workarounds with things? And, and then what was your process through doing those or not? It's a great question. You know, like I, in my job, I always think about this quote from Dave Anderson, the legendary New York Times uh, columnist. And he says, be a respectful pest. And I, I try to carry that around in all aspects of my job. And this was a unique one because you're right, like there were these restrictions that were making it pretty impossible to do something original. Um, that said, we're in a global pandemic. Uh, the NHL is a private organization. We were not invited in. Like there's certain things I just can't do. Like it's a public health risk. I, I might have been arrested if I tried to, you know, try to infiltrate the bubble or something like that. Um, you know, I really just took it to my advantage of saying I'm here and I'm noticing things and I will use all of my observations in conversations with people. And that's how I will, um, you know, make the best of this. And I think the best story I produced from it was um, this piece I collaborated with my coworker, Greg Wyshynski, and we asked a bunch of guys who had left the bubble, their teams were eliminated, what their experience was like, um, to give their honest assessment, we called the bubble confidential. Um, and, you know, a, a lot of that, you know, it was the credibility of me being there. That's why guys want to talk. It was also, um, you know, I approached it from saying to them, hey, like, you guys want to get your experiences out there. If you ever have to do this again, you want people to know what it was like for you because it wasn't exactly ideal for them. So I don't know if that exactly answers your question, but it's kind of my approach. Yeah, that makes sense. Thanks. Yeah, that, that article, I, I consider myself as a member of hashtag hockey Twitter <laughs> or whatever. Um, and that article is is still one of the most talked about articles of, I feel like, the whole the whole bubble. Um, so that was a, definitely an impressive piece. Um, you mentioned Greg. I, I have long listened to Greg all the way back to the Puck Daddy days. Um, I was very excited when there was a fellow Penn Stater kind of teaming up with him. ESPN on Ice is, is one of my three go-to podcasts. Um, and I feel like, especially since Greg and you joined, I feel like ESPN has really started to make a stronger push as a company on, on hockey. Um, you know, why is that? Do you, do you feel that way? Not to, to, you know, knock what Scott Burnside did. I think that he did a wonderful job, but I, I really feel like you guys are in the conversation a lot, um, in a lot of different ways, in a lot of fun ways, as you mentioned with that story, you know, in particular. I think when we both came in, um, we just approached it from a different way. Um, you know, it was a it's a really difficult situation Greg and I both walked into. We both were hired because ESPN had just made the last massive layoffs, including laying off all of their hockey writers. Um, and people were like, who are these people? People knew Greg. He was a known commodity in hockey. I was just some young plucky kid who was like writing for Peter King's website. And they're like, she, we don't know her. Um, but I think one of the reasons, and I know one of the reasons ESPN hired me is because I was not in the hockey world and I, I didn't see it in that tunnel vision and I think 
um, a lot of things that um, go on in hockey media are people just write the way the people before them wrote or they write for their sources or, or things like that. And I kind of came in from it. It was like, I used to cover the NFL. Like, I'm noticing this. This is really weird. Let me write about it. Um, you know, some of those then turned into goofier stories like hockey players have big butts and they can't find jeans that fit. Probably one of my favorite stories I've ever done. Um, and, and, you know, I, I give our editors a lot of credit because they give us the latitude to do that. Um, you know, I think our challenge is always appeasing the diehard hockey fans, but also um, catering to a larger audience because ESPN has such a wide audience. And I want people who maybe just tune into the Stanley Cup playoffs here and then, maybe can only name Sidney Crosby and Alex Ovechkin as the only players in the league, um, to read my stories and say, you know what, that's interesting. Um, it is so funny that you brought literally both of those points up because I have questions about uh, <laughs> both of those. I The first thing I want to start with was kind of the transition to from NFL football coverage to hockey coverage. You know, you look at the majority of media that covers the NHL. Most of them are mainly Canadian. You know, well, I guess yes and no, but, you know, most of them primarily stick with one sport. And I think that's kind of true with really any any sport, you know, that's you're an NFL beat writer for most of your career. You're an NHL beat writer, an NBA. You don't really transition in or out. What was that transition like? Why did you want to make that transition? Um, just what, what what were your thoughts when you were making that, that leap? Yeah, so I interviewed for an NFL job at ESPN, and the story that goes is they like we don't have anything that we think you'll like right now, but um you did mention that you loved hockey and our biggest need right now is a national hockey writer. And growing up, hockey was always my passion. Um, if you asked me when I was a kid what my dream job would be, it'd probably be this. Um, it was a different mindset though, because the NFL, it's the biggest sport in the country. You know, the audience is unparalleled when it comes comparing it to the NHL. Um, you could write about the fourth string tight end on a team and you'd get people to pay attention. Um, whereas in the NHL, it's a much smaller pool of media. It's also a smaller audience. Um, but I saw it as a challenge where I could kind of be big fish, small pond. You know, I was very low down at the death chart at Sports Illustrated writing about the NFL. Now I'm one of two national hockey writers. Like I got to go to events like the Stanley Cup final in a bubble in Edmonton um, and things like that, that I probably wouldn't have been able to. Um, there's a lot of cultural differences between the leagues. Um, the NHL is immediately, uh, the NFL rather is a media league. Um, they get their money from media rights, but they also get how to play the media guys. You can go walk into a locker room and ask any guy to talk about himself, and he will, and he'll tell you why he's awesome and, and give you colorful quotes or like, let's go pick up my kid from school and do a feature story that way. Um, in the NHL, I came in, I was like, yeah, like, let's go get lunch or, you know, like try to get to know guys. And they're like, no, I do interviews in the locker room. They don't use the pronouns I, they don't use the pronouns. They use we or you instead. Um, so that was a bit of a challenge. Um, that said, I think. I do come in an advantage because I haven't grown up in it and this isn't the only thing I've known professionally. Um, so I ask a lot of questions of why do you do it like this or I can, you know, compare apples to oranges. And I, I think that's where I get a lot of my story ideas, to be honest. Emily, how do you, I don't want to go, I'm trying to, I'm getting between Darian and his big butts for just a second. <laughs> that's okay, that's okay. How, how do you go from plucky, plunky to, to respected? Like, how did you break down some of those barriers, do you think? Mm. And you know you're doing well. Like, like, like how, what is your set? Like, how do you know, hey, I'm doing this this well? Like, what, what feedback do you value? What what measures of success do you have? Yeah, that's a great question. And to be honest, I'm not sure. I think I'm getting there. Um, but, you know, I, I think it was kind of stages. Like, at first, fans and maybe hockey Twitter started saying, like, oh, you know what? Like, Emily and Greg are doing some legit stuff. Like, you should actually pay attention to them. Um, and then maybe 
um, a coach said something here or there. Um, but it, it takes a while. And I think one of the reasons, you know, the people who are known in hockey media are the people who've been around the longest, quite frankly, like it's that type of old boys club. Um, the feedback that I, I really respect is from people in the league or people who know. Like, I think the best, the best I felt about a story was that player confidential story. Um, because one of the players I'd contacted for it, um, we didn't have that much of a relationship beforehand. I just texted him, do you want to do the story? You know, we talk on the phone. And then after on our phone conversation, he's like, thank you for asking me these questions. No one had asked them. And then after the story ran, he's like, thank you for writing the story. It was really important to me and my teammates. And like that meant something to me because um, I felt like I was actually getting at the heart of an issue. Um, and, and so that's the best feedback I, I think I can get. So from more of a, a serious topic to a lighter <laughs> topic, but I, I have to ask, it's, it's truly one of my favorite pieces of journalism what was it like asking NHL players about their butts and their lack of fitting their jeans into butts? <laughs> so I think this fits into a theme that we're kind of talking about of approaching things in a different way. Like everyone who's ever been around a hockey team, has coached a hockey player, has a brother or sister who plays hockey, like knows it's a thing. Like oh, hockey it's, butt it's a thing. Like, is I'm a thing. A exactly. I, I was a hockey player and I still struggle to this day to fit into a pair of jeans. Correct. Um, the issue is everyone thought it was widely inappropriate to talk about something like that. Um, and I just went out and effing did it. Um, you know, there's a player media tour in the beginning of the year and I knocked out a lot of interviews then. It's a representative from each team. Um, and I literally phrased it. Hockey players are known to have a very low, big lower halves. Have you ever had problems finding jeans that fit? And you can tell when guys want to talk for a story and when they don't. Um, and like everyone I asked, like from Connor McDavid to Jonathan Tate, like two guys that don't typically show their personality much, like, had an anecdote or an answer and it was just like, yeah, um, I do. So, you know, that one again, it, it felt like I was kind of getting to the heart of an issue. Um, you know, I know a lot of male colleagues, you know, sometimes I was asking in locker room settings and they heard me asking it and they're like rolling their eyes. Like, I can't believe she's doing this. This is wildly inappropriate, but like, it's what the people want to read. It's true. It was relatable. I think one of the reasons the story did well is because it hit at a lot of, um, you know, general themes that not just hockey players, that human beings deal with, like, dressing room insecurity, body image, um, things like that. Yeah, no, that, that story is hilarious, enjoyable, very funny, and also, to me, very real. So I, I'm thank you for being the voice of the unspoken. <laughs> they also got some really good illustrations, so that helps. Yes, that, that is also, I think, one of my favorite things. About mm -hmm. the, the top illustration is great. Steve, do you have anything? I've got a couple more questions. No, go ahead, go, because I'm not following the bus. You go there and you are. <laughs> okay, all right. All right, so a little bit back to the more serious side, but what's the best advice you were ever given? I know you mentioned that one quote, but, you know, especially whether it's in journalism, not in journalism, but preferably in journalism. Uh, the respectful past quote, like, I keep going back to that one, but um, I started my career working with Peter King. Um, I, you know, he's been an incredible mentor to me. And he always, you know, he's got a lot of words of wisdom, that man. Um, but he always just says the hard workers get rewarded in the end. And I think work ethic um, is something, it can't be taught. It, it has to be innate. You have to want it and you have to be hungry. Um, and so, you know, like entering this job, like I didn't know anyone in hockey, um, but I went out and I reached out to every single PR guy for every, or gal, but mostly guys on every team, um, you know, every GM and just said like, hey, I'm new. I just want to introduce myself. Like things like that just 
you know, putting in the extra time to call people, introduce yourself, um, make that extra phone call or email. Um, I, I think that has been why I've been able to make a mark in hockey in a short amount of time or in my job. And I really do think that's applicable, you know, in journalism or just in life. How many phone calls, sorry, Darren, how many phone calls or emails would you send on a regular day? Like in the season, like how many, because you're not just doing a game, you're reaching out, you're doing things. Yeah, it's, honestly, it, I mean, obviously it varies, but like sometimes I'll look at my phone log and it's just like all day. It's like, you know, back to back to back. Sometimes it's people that won't shut up and that's just because I can't get them off the phone. <laughs> um, sometimes it's like a 20 second phone call where I'm leaving a voicemail and no, I'll never re uh, hear back. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's constant. I think the thing about this job too is that, you know, it is a 24 seven job. Like I'm out on weekends with friends and normal times um, and, and sending an email or, or going out and like, there's a Penn State bar here in Chicago, Durkins. Um, and like, I know the alley of Durkins very well because like I've stood in that alley and like taken phone calls and taken notes for interviews. Um, so a lot. Uh, one last thing I wanted to ask about, um, I hope that I, I phrased this the, the right way, but I feel like there's a there's a strong, tight knit coalition of women uh, sports writers, specifically in hockey. I, I'm probably a little bit kind of narrow window because that's the mm -hmm. sport I follow the most. You know, what is that that community like? And, and you know, what what is next for 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 women covering the NHL? Because I feel like in the last ten years, it's really grown. And and you know, we're now talking to a national beat writer that that is a woman. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think I hate to use the word sisterhood, but that's really what it is. It's, it's a shared understanding um, that we are the minority. And look, sometimes it plays to my advantage. Like if I go into a locker room and talk to a player, like I know he's probably going to remember me the next time I introduce myself more so than one of my many male colleagues. Um, it can be a disadvantage too, right? Where a lot of times people get sources and, and, and build relationships by drinking with their sources or things like that. If I'm at the NHL draft and I'm sitting at a bar at midnight drinking with John Cooper and someone sees me, like they're going to gossip, like it doesn't look right. Um, so there's certain things you have to be conscientious of, but it's really, I think this is something I didn't realize until maybe in my later 20s. Um, I didn't realize this right after college, but um, it's really important to have you know, strong female friendships. And I, I think that can apply to just the like-minded friendships of people who you can vent to, who get it, um, where you feel seen. Because sometimes some of the grievances we have are so petty. Like, and I, I can try to explain it to somebody else and it just doesn't make sense. Um, but just um, being there for each other. And I know if there's ever anything that happened, um, you know, the elder statesmen of the women in sports media, like Katie Strang is a, someone I look up to. Helene Elliott's been around forever. She's awesome. Um, would have my back and I like to do that for the younger ones and the coolest thing is one of the bright rising stars that's a female in hockey is Sarah Sivian who also went to Penn State. Yes, yes. Um, all right, speaking of Penn State, I've got some Penn State fun fact questions for you. Okay, I'm ready. ready. Just real quick answers. Okay. Favorite creamery flavor? Um, I didn't go there very much. <sighs> I think it's very overrated. Oh my gosh, no. Hot take. This interview's over. Come yeah, on. I know, I know. Maybe vanilla. Wow. <laughs> it's a, yeah, wow. spicy. Peachy right, Paterno, I don't know. I feel like that's a little cliche. I like though. their cheese there. I used to like buy their cheese. My mom is obsessed with their cottage cheese. Yeah, yeah, their like, cheese is she's awesome. Like, you need to bring it home. Like, like you're not in the house if you don't bring okay. it home. Okay, my favorite creamery ice cream flavor is cheese. Okay, all right. Um, you're back in the state college for one night and one night only. 
what bar are you going to? Well, I was last year and I found myself craving going to the first. I like needed to have the first experience to see if it would still hold up and it did. Yeah. Yeah. Even with the renovations, it, 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 that's good to hear. Um, Beaver Stadium whiteout or a game seven of, in the Stanley Cup final, playoffs? Um, you know, I got to experience ugh, more whiteouts as fan or, you know, maybe just be more part of it. It's just so special. I don't know. It's ugh, game seven of the Stanley Cup final though. No, I, I'm, I'm taking a next on this one. Uh, your favorite go-to dining com comments at, at Penn State. Okay, is Simmons still around? I think so, Steve. Is that one rocked. Food? It was great. It was like healthy food before healthy food was super trendy. Um, but yeah, we love Simmons. They also had really good cookies, though. The, no, the cookies were the best in the West. Yeah, West yeah, Halls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. The best cookies. I, I have like my wife and I go back for games, and we've like thought about like. Could we bribe like a freshman to like sneak us in just so we can get the? Oh my god! I feel like if you pay them five bucks or ten bucks, yeah, you like, could, yeah, here, yeah. Here's some here's some money. Like get some swipes. Yeah. All right, that's all I have. Um, Steve, do you have any other questions for Emily? I got one NHL quick question. Let's yeah. One quick question. Who's your best interview? Mm, that's a great question. Um, hmm. Honestly, Robin Lehner is someone who I've built a bit of a relationship with. I got to know him a bit when he was here in Chicago, um, but now just kind of working in the mental health space, which is somewhere where I try to write a lot of stories now. It's a topic that's really important to me. Um, anytime he talks, he's just fascinating. Like I, I talked to him like two weeks ago on the phone and like, he's like, honestly, he's just ranting to me for 20 minutes. And like, I'm just like, huh, yeah, interesting. Um, so I find him just pretty fascinating. All right, well, in typical Greg Wyshynski fashion, is there anything you want to plug? No, I want to plug this podcast because it's awesome. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> it's, that, you've heard it here, for, folks. It's yeah, awesome. clip this, use it for all of your promotional yes. materials, thank and you. Mrs. Summers, hello. It's nice okay. to nice to chat with you virtually. Is her last name Summers, or did I totally offend yes. her? No, no, no. Okay. Yes, you're good, you're good. All right, well... Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you taking, for taking a little bit of time out of your busy schedule, um, even though the season's not going on. When, the, when there will be a season, again, who knows? I'm excited to read your stuff. Again, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you guys for inviting me. I do feel like it is an honor, H-O-N-O-U-R, and privilege. I try to speak Canadian sometimes, uh, to be your first guest. So this is really cool. You're the first guest of the Fastest Rising podcast conducted by two Belisario College graduates that's launched in the past month. That's oh that. my goodness! Go. Going on my LinkedIn page. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll get you. We'll get. We'll get you a badge or whatever to, to prove it to. Perfect. All right. Thank you. All right, Steve. You heard the the incredible words from Emily there of just hyping up this show. She's, I think, she's our number one fan. Like she's now our number one fan. She's. We you gotta have get her smart something. people like that saying things like that. You don't yeah, want to not join the club. So when Emily speaks, folks should listen. Yeah, if you're not on this boat already, you know, it's time to get on. Like, And we're willing to buy a bigger boat, so invite some friends. Yes, yeah, definitely, definitely. And socially distanced, of course. Um, no, what did, you, what did you take away from her conversation? I thought it was the, the most interesting thing to me, I would have never thought of this, was to get an Airbnb as opposed to getting a hotel room as you were going to Edmonton. Yeah, I think that was savvy on the front end, right? I mean, to be thinking that, and I'm sure you can find one for a price that was, was almost less or equal to the hotel room, right? And you get a backyard and you get some sanity. And again, I, I think that's a, 
a smart move. And I think that's the kind of thing that reassures me that I have a media member or a person who's got a little bit of common sense and is going to put themselves in a position to succeed. And she has more than a little bit of common sense. One of the other things that I thought was interesting, and she didn't want to poke and prod her too much on it, but I thought she, she was very open and honest about the ESPN conversation. For a long time, ESPN, after they lost the media rights after the, the big lockout in 2004 or 2005, excuse me, um, you know, they got a lot of heat for, for not covering the NHL. Like they, you know, people were not happy. Um, and I feel like when, um, when they kind of made that switch that she talked about, they've really done a very good job. I mean, Greg Wyshynski, you know, kind of, I, I read him every day in school, like in, in, in elementary school, I think I was reading Puck Daddy, like, you know, it, you know, and, and Emily is doing something. She's, she's really written a lot of incredible stories that are great evergreen stories. Like if I was teaching, teaching a journalism class, <laughs> Steve, I would take those in, print those out, and be like, this is how you should write. Like, this is very good writing. Yeah, and I think that the part when she talked about finding different ways to get into stories and knowing that there's people who've done it forever and have done it a certain way, and sometimes you got to look at it a different way. I think every media member, and I expect that. I mean, I when people are doing it well, you notice that, right? Their stories are different. And initially, you might be kind of taken aback saying, why aren't they writing the same stuff as everybody else? Why aren't they giving me some insight on this, but they're giving you insight on something else and something better. And, and, and she's building relationships with people who are going to serve her well down the road on, on other stories. It's, it's tough. It's tough when you're going into a beat for the first time. Um, and I think she knows that. And I think she has a strategy to solve that. And I, I think we're, if you're consuming her stuff, you're seeing that. And as somebody that reads hockey coverage pretty much every single day of his life, and that's not an exaggeration, like it's so refreshing when you get fresh eyes into the NHL world because as Emily mentioned like no NHL player is going to be like look at me look at me they're just that they do not exist like that is a part of getting to the NHL is being a team player and you know there's that famous commercial where I think it was a Geico commercial or that's running where it's just an interview and they're talking about all of these hockey cliches and, and there never is the word I in there it's the word you or, you know the we as a team we did this wrong we did this right um, and, and she's really broken down the barrier on that in a lot of ways um, that makes it enjoyable to read. You know, the, the, the bubble confidential story that she wrote was one of the most talked about pieces on, on hockey, you know, quote, unquote hockey Twitter. Um, well, and, I've and never you, seen. And even the, 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 the player butt story, right? Like you're planning for a story months out. And that's another thing. I don't, I don't, the people who are really good do their planning to know they're going to get some stuff at media days at the start of the season. They're going to come back and get some a month or so into the season from somebody else. And they're going to take that all, and the payoff's going to be down the road yet another month. And it's not all reactionary, he said, he said, here's a stat, whatever else. They're telling you stories, and, and, and she does that really well. The only thing I was disappointed by, the, the lack of a favorite creamery ice cream, cream flavor. I thought you were going to die. For a second there, I thought there was a heart attack going I was, on, and I wasn't sure. I was, I'm a little, we got it. We gotta get that straightened out. Maybe she maybe was too busy working. She didn't have time. Uh, she, that's okay. She point, came back with point. the cheese. She she had you know. That's a good point. That's a good point. That's a good point. All right. Um, again, thank you to Emily for joining us. That was a great, fun conversation. Um, she's got such a great personality. Um, check out her work on ESPN. I listen to ESPN on Ice. Uh, they do a, a hilarious podcast, but it's it's a, such an important podcast. Um, I think in the hockey community. Um, 
Speaking of listening to things, you have a topic. You have a topic for old guy, young guy this week. This, these segues have been on fire today. Yeah, I, you, been, those, I see you applying. You can't see I'm clapping my hands. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm curious. We talk old guy, young guy, and you came with quizzes. I'm sorry, Aaron, who I know is listening. I don't have a quiz for him. I just don't have time to put it in question form. But I'm curious about your music. Like, when we talk about old guy, young guy, there's stuff I want to ask that, that if I ask it before your birth date, it's just not fair. Like, how can I be asking you this? But I think music fits in that category. I think my 80s, trying to look now at what I have in my playlist, and some of this is biased because I got a phone from my daughter and didn't know how to get rid of some of her music, which is yet another discussion. Um, but I've got, <laughs> I've got some ABBA, some Bon Jovi, um, some Def Leppard. But I think you'd be with me on the Bon Jovi and the Def Leppard and know those songs that could, could sing Excuse along. Me. I gotta... Excuse me. Mamma Mia is the greatest movie of all time, this so I I'm know saying. my ABBA. But, but after 1994, right? Two Daughters, 1994. Yeah. After 94, there's n- nothing on this playlist that's mine. Like, there have been people, well, maybe some country music, but, but nobody was making music after my daughters were, were born in my world. So it's, it's interesting, to, and my daughters know our 80s music. Like, they know that stuff. They were weaned on that. So L- I'm ask, curious like, how much 80s stuff you know or, or where your music... Okay, so, all right. Um, where to begin, where to begin? I Meatloaf seen... I have here. How are you with Meatloaf? I don't really like Meatloaf. Okay, it's, uh, that's what I'm I saying. Yeah, okay, but here's the deal. I have seen Foreigner in concert. I, R.I.P., saw Eddie Money in concert. I have seen Jimmy Buffett seven times in concert. I have seen Bruce Springsteen three times in concert. Um... So have you seen as many younger ones as often? Have you seen as many? Uh, I, I have a I have a very eclectic like list of concerts. Like like I wrote a column for Garth about like one is the collegian about going to see Garth Brooks when he came to town. Um, I've seen. I'm trying to think. Like I like I we like you probably don't know who this is. I saw Chitty Anna and I saw Chitty Bang in concert. Time flies. They, they like your daughters would know who that is. No, there, um, there's no doubt they would know who they were. Right. Um, but here's the deal. I grew up, we, my mom and I spent a lot of time in the car in, on Saturdays and Sundays and Tuesdays, Wednesdays and Thursdays going to hockey practice or hockey games. Mm-hmm. Now, if it was a Saturday in the fall or a Sunday in the fall, we were listening, likely listening to a Steelers game or a Penn State game. But any other time, we, we did not listen to hot radio. Like, we did not. We only listened to classic rock radio so what i'm saying is I, I think like if you gave me a quiz i think you, like i don't know if i would get 10 out of 10 but i think i would do like 9 out of 10 right and i would get like 2 out of 10 if it went the other way like i've got what's on here that this had to come from my daughter i got the weekend on here i don't care like there's just no friggin' way right um what else is on here this there's i mean i got some three dog night taylor swift okay uh, that might skew there because i could probably nah. pass that i mean i love taylor but you know but i got like the starland vocal band on here going back in the 70s but you know afternoon delight and whatever else so okay, yeah like right. i think you're i think you're skewing because i stopped paying attention like once you get for me I, I don't know how old other people my age do but i did but when my kids were happening like time froze right like up to that point the music was good, then I listened to it, and after that, it's all kind of about them, except for their music. Like, they would say, listen to this, I'm like, oh no, sorry, I'm driving. You are not yet in charge of the radio, and you were getting indoctrinated in classic rock or 70s music, even. And I'd like to say that this was a shared decision, but I think it was a lot of my influence, but at my wedding, 
Anna walked down the aisle to Thunder Road. Um, our, as we walked back back up out the aisle, we walked to Dancing in the Moonlight, but not the original one, the Beaver Stadium version. Right. right. But, but I still prefer that one. Um, our first dance was Dancing in the Dark. Um, I think we cut the cake to the song from the four, it's a four seasons song um, like from uh, God Only Knows by in, in uh, Love Actually oh, okay. um, that song um, so needless to say like my music taste is very eclectic like the other day when we were coming back from New Jersey or going to New Jersey we I ran the gamut of everything from Bruce's new album to like EDM remixes yeah, see, and I can go, I'm fairly eclectic, but I, I remember now the kids would talk about fuzzy radio. Why are we listening to fuzzy radio? And fuzzy know. radio would be like AM sports talk. Uh, like we'd be in the car, and of course it's, you know, AM sports talk. Yeah. And, and that was always, well, is mom driving or dad driving? Because dad's going to make us listen to fuzzy radio. And he did. Like they, they probably, and again, our daughters probably think Mike and Mike were like the most important celebrities ever because there was a lot of fuzzy radio on the way to daycare and on the way back, so... <laughs> I think like next week will you come with a quiz? I, I feel like like I, I want a quiz. Like I think it's time. That'll be my homework. Okay. Of some kind of quiz. I'll come up okay. with something. Yeah, like it doesn't have to be music and like you know what I'll say? I have a pretty good knowledge of like my dad taught me well on like the classic movies of like Animal House, Caddyshack, the Blues okay. Brothers. Okay. Like every time we go to Chicago, um, and we're in we're in Chicago and my friend who works for the Cub work, works for the Cubs we would go to the Wrigley area. I'd be like, look, 1060 West Addison. And then I would like be like, that's Wrigley Field. <laughs> My wife still doesn't get that joke. Um, I, we, I, will, we will have a music, we'll have some kind of pop culture yeah. quiz yeah. from me next week. I think, from the, me for I think you. that's what the people want. I'm, I can hear them clamoring now. They're nodding their heads at mm-hmm. their devices right now yes. saying I want it. Yes. All right. Today was, today was a fun show. I, I had a lot of fun on today's show. Um, I think this was last week was probably I think our best show. This was definitely my favorite show, um, but I think this was a very good show. Definitely, well, it's top Emily's favorite too. So now we're yeah, yeah that's, it's, it's just hey, building. let's put it this way: it's definitely top five, no definitely top five. <laughs> and there's a lot of teams that aren't in the top five right now. So right, right. So you know, we haven't even had was this our fourth? Oh, I've got the giggles tonight. I've got the giggles tonight. All right, subscribe to us on facebook and like us on facebook i work in social media and i still don't know what to do there um we have an email if you want to email us anything literally anything we haven't gotten one email um it's stuff summers says podcast at gmail.com and seriously please give us some feedback we, we really do appreciate it um you know a couple of people pointed out so sometimes the show's been a little quiet so i've tried to turn it up hopefully that's been corrected um you know really any good feedback bad feedback it's, it's helping us grow and learn um my twitter handle is stuff summer says and steve, mine yours is just is steve Sampson. pretty simple pretty easy all right homework next week you got a quiz for I'm me i'm going up to start right now all right all right like five ten questions I, I i i will bet you i will bet you a case of yingling that i i will get I mean, you don't drink Yingling, do you? No, I, I, if you're going to pay for it, why not? So what, yeah. you will get what? You will get, we've stopped. I, I will at least get, it, get what's like 80%, 80%. 8 out of 10 on a pop culture quiz next week. Okay, cool. Like, don't make it too hard, though. Jeez, now I'm stressed. No, it'll be good. It'll, it right. might even All be right. sports All movies. Right. Who knows? Okay. All right. All right. 
Thanks for listening. Thanks for to Emily for joining us. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. Bye. See you.